1: This one is a fan favorite for many reasons. It's a story that was a little bit of low-hanging fruit because everyone's done it to death. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay because it's a good story and it should be done to death. Um, The Eastern State Penitentiary. Hells, yeah. Um, Hells, yeah. This has got some history to it and it's got some stuff that we're going to work through tonight, the demons. We're going to exercise them from the exercise yard It's going to be great. Um, So, the Eastern State Penitentiary is located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was designed by a guy named John Haviland, who oversaw the majority of its construction, which began in 1822. Uh, The first prisoner was admitted on October 25th, 1829. For Carol, the theft of a $20 watch, a $3 gold seal, and a gold key. Wow. Mm
0: -hmm. Arrested for that? That wouldn't happen in Portland.
1: (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, The prisoner was sentenced to two years in the prison with labor for the theft. In fact, there were many prisoners who were brought there in the early days of the prison for muggings and purse snatching and received similar sentences. So, but you think about it, in 1829, that probably was a lot of money.
0: You think about it; purse snatching was really a big thing. It was a big. I deal remember that, Mike. When I'd walk around the city, I'd be mm-hmm. having the strap that goes over the you neck,
1: clutch your purse over oh, chest. What is it? The
0: crossbody <laughs> strap. Remember yeah. when that was popular? Yeah.
1: Yes. Cause, it, cause you gotta watch out for the purse well, snatchers. You always have to. Whenever I would go to like a foreign country and I didn't really know oh, anything, yeah. they make you wear those little fanny packs because that <laughs> way, and you have to wear it under your shirt, yeah, so that the pickpockets cannot get to you and get your stuff. Yeah, yeah I remember that for sure. So, yeah, <laughs> back in the day, they would have handled this correctly. They would have thrown those people into the Eastern State Penitentiary and said, "Good luck in there." Right? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the prison was designed with a neo gothic look on the outside, so it looks kind of like a castle. It's big stones and turrets and stuff. Yeah. They did that on purpose to scare people out of committing crime.
0: Oh, see, mm-hmm. I that's my idea of a great place to live. It looks it looks a gothic m- castle. It looks
1: medieval. It awesome. really it really does look kind of scary. Um however, the revolutionary idea around this prison at the time was was to get prisoners to repent for their crimes and sins. Therefore, the prison on the inside was designed to encourage their connection to God and to seek his forgiveness, Mm -hmm. very much like a church. Hence, it was named the Eastern State Penitentiary as the word penitentiary derives from the word repentance. Oh, yes. Isn't that interesting? I learned that in this story. I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. yeah, now that makes a lot more sense. So in order to encourage prisoners to seek repentance, Haviland, the designer, designed the prison as a space for isolation and solitary confinement. The prisoners would have their own cell that was locked with metal doors and then covered by a second heavy wooden door so they were unable to be heard out in the hallway. Oh. There were peepholes for the guards to see the prisoners without being noticed and small portals to pass the prisoners their meals. Above the prisoners' heads were skylights in the ceiling put there as the, quote, eye of God, end quote, that would allow them to look up to the heavens as they repented and prayed and to remind them that God was always watching them. And that
0: would work as long as they're not vampires because <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> with yeah. the
1: sunlight right in your cell. It was an anti-vampire person Yes. It, Absolutely. It would get
0: very hot in Oh, there. God, yeah,
1: it would. Um, the hallways of the cell blocks were designed to have the feel of a church, and the doors to the cells were made of a short height so that the prisoners would have to bow their heads when they entered the cells as a reminder to bow their heads before God. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty, they don't mess around with it's the design. very psychological, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the prison was considered advanced for its time, as each cell had its own toilet that the guards flushed twice a week, Carol, and a faucet with running water. But in those days, that was a big deal because a lot of cells didn't even have toilets. They didn't. I don't think so. But they just
0: pooped in a bucket?
1: Well, this prison had, I think, electricity before the White House did. Like, it was a big deal when this this thing got there. I think that's true. I think I remember reading that. Mm. They even had central heating for wintertime. When the prisoners were escorted out of their cells, they had to wear a hood over their face to keep with the solitary confinement strategy, but also so they could not communicate with other prisoners, nor be recognized by other prisoners. The only person the prisoners were actually allowed to speak to was the warden, who was actually tasked legally with visiting the inmates every day.
0: Sounds like a recipe for going crazy. It absolutely Holly. is a recipe
1: for going crazy. You're correct about that. Each cell had its own exercise yard secured with very high walls so the prisoners could not hear or see each other. They were never outside at the same time as a neighboring inmate. They were allowed to garden and have pets in their exercise yards. The individual exercise yards were eliminated as early as 1877, and the prisoners were put together to exercise, Though they still had to wear their hoods over their heads and not speak to each other. But were they still allowed their pets? I don't know.
0: Because that's all I need. I know. Wouldn't that that be cool? Just give me my dog or little rabbit.
1: That would be so nice. So Haviland, the designer, had originally designed the prison to only have seven one-story cell blocks that were connected in the middle with an octagon-shaped building known as the rotunda that each cell block would shoot out from like a spoke from a wheel. However, due to fast overcrowding, the prison ended up having 15 cell blocks, each with two floors. The last two cell blocks, 14 and 15, were quickly designed and built by the prisoners themselves and wedged in between the other cell blocks. So there was seven, and then the other seven were actually all wedged in between the spaces between each cell block that was originally designed as part of the prison. But the last two got thrown up really fast, probably because of the overcrowding. Okay. Um, Cell block 15 ended up being one of the worst cell blocks in the prison and reserved for the worst prisoners. So the solitary confinement system was truly believed at the time to be an effective way to reform prisoners. That era's intellectuals believed in the theory that through their solitude, the prisoners would come to understand that what they did was wrong and truly seek forgiveness. Even Benjamin Franklin weighed in on the idea to reform the U.S. prison system through this method. However, what truly happened as a result of solitary confinement was its opposite. Instead of reforming the prisoners, many of them went mad from the isolation. In order to deal with this madness, the prison administration came up with several disturbing forms of torture to get the prisoners to comply. Some of these tortures included adhering them to an outer wall in the middle of winter and then dousing them with cold water until ice formed on their skin. If the prisoners were caught talking, Carol, the guards had a device called an iron gag. They would chain an iron bar to the prisoner's tongues that would then be attached to the prisoner's wrists that were locked behind the prisoner's back. And if the prisoner moved at all, his tongue would tear and bleed. Oh my God. some prisoners end up dying this way when they tore their own tons out.
0: This yeah. is madness It is
1: madness um, this is why it's such a popular story. No. <laughs> I can't believe it's, I have I can't believe a dark. movie hasn't been made of this like maybe an actual
0: it, horror movie. Maybe there
1: has been I don't know uh-huh. um, Another torture device they used was a chair that guards would strap the prisoners to so tightly that their circulation would be cut off. They would then leave them there for days without food or water. Many prisoners had to have their legs amputated as a result. They also put convicts into quote-unquote the hole, which was under one of the cell block wings. In the hole, the convicts would be left in complete darkness with very little food and water. Sometimes they would be left down there for as long as a month, and when they were brought back up, their eyes would be damaged by the light that they hadn't seen since their incarceration in the hole. And of course, it wasn't just petty thieves who were housed at the penitentiary. Many murderers, rapists, and mentally ill were also admitted into the prison. One man named Joseph Taylor was convinced that the guards were trying to poison him. So he disassembled a sewing machine in one of the workshops and took a metal rod out of it, sunk it back into his cell, and when the guard came to let him into the exercise yard, the prisoner ran out and clubbed the guard to death. Taylor said that he can remember striking the guard with the rod the first time, but he does not remember hitting him over and over again and eventually killing him. When Taylor was finished with the murder, he went back into his cell and fell asleep.
0: He hit him with the rod of God.
1: (laughs) I guess he did. (laughs) Take that, Jesus. Yeah. Flash forward to the 1990s in a locksmith who had been hired to remove an old lock off of that old cell door that Taylor inhabited, was trying with little success in getting it off. He said as he was trying to remove the lock, he was overcome by a powerful force and he could not move. He said he saw a bunch of faces pop out at him from the wall. He believed the faces were of the deceased inmates that had lived in the prison at one time. The theory that isolation would result in enlightenment died in 1913, but not necessarily because it really wasn't working, but more because they needed to house more inmates and it was not feasible to keep everybody separated. Therefore, prisoners started sharing cells and played in organized sports in the exercise yard. By the 1920s, the prison was home to over 2,000 prisoners. A lot of prisoners were committed to life sentences at the prisons. There was a lot of deaths, either of old age or from disease. Tuberculosis swept through the prison and killed at least 600 men. Their coughing fits due to the TB were so bad that the doctors would operate on them without anesthesia and remove their ribs so that they had more room for their lungs to move when they coughed. Other inmates were forced to have plastic surgery. What? (laughs) This is kind of interesting. Because they're so ugly? (laughs) Yes. Yes. What? If it was decided that an inmate did not have a great outward appearance, then he would receive plastic surgery because if he was more attractive on the outside, he would be a better person on the oh, inside. Carol. That is so messed up. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Your problem is is you're ugly. And if you were just beautiful <laughs> You'd
0: you'd have a beautiful like soul.
1: People would like you better and you'd be treated. Differently, And maybe that's true. I think I actually think good looking people do get treated better in our society. So they
0: do. They get away they, with a lot more. They too. sure do.
1: Yeah. Okay. And tall people. Tall, tall, people. <laughs> tall good looking people get everything that they ever wanted. It's bullshit. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, other inmates died by suicide, either by hanging or by slitting their own throats. Um, Oh, on Ghost Adventures, your good friend, Zach Baggins. Yes, that is my friend. Yes. Visited the prison and was going through the historical death ledger and found one cause of death listed as masturbation. He would find that.
0: (laughs) Right. Way to go, Zach. (laughs) You're investigating is Mm, top notch. Top notch.
1: Apparently back in 1859, they did believe that you could indeed masturbate yourself to death. (laughs) Oh, what a way to go. (laughs) In another cell block, there were two stories of very small cells with an open corridor in the middle of the floors that you could see down or up to either floor. In this cell block, the prisoners could reach through the bars of the doors. The walkway between their cells and the open corridor was very narrow, so the prisoners could reach out and touch the guards as they walked by. Reach out and touch someone. On several occasions, the prisoners were able to push the guards so hard that the guards fell over the railing through the open corridor and onto the cell block floor, a story below. A few guards died in this manner. It was so bad and so frequent that prison officials put some metal bars over the open area so that the guards wouldn't fall all the way down to the story below when the prison prisoners pushed them. No. <laughs> it wasn't like a no mass prisoner it was like, like, like having
0: to go work in there. No. I I wonder no. I wonder if the turnover was just Oh my
1: god, I can't even imagine. Carol from 1929 to 1930 Al Capone was also an inmate at the prison he had been charged with carrying a concealed deadly weapon he spent about eight months at the prison however his cell was the lap of luxury I bet it was he had a bigger cell than the other inmates he had nice furniture rugs lamps paintings on the walls and even a radio in his cell I guess it pays to pay off the authorities, doesn't it?
0: It certainly does.
1: However, he was not happy at the prison as he claimed to the guards that he was being harassed by the ghost of Jimmy Clark, who happened to be one of the men he had killed in the Valentine's Day massacre. Oh. The guards could hear him yelling at someone, telling him to go away and leave him alone. They believed he was talking to Jimmy. So Al Capone got haunted there. Oh, that is fascinating. That's cool. Over its lifetime, the Eastern State Penitentiary was home to over 80,000 prisoners with at least 1,000 people dying inside via murder, suicide, disease, or old age. Beginning as early as the 1940s, both prisoners and guards started to have paranormal experiences at the prison. Reports of shadow figures, strange noises, whispering, cackling laughter, screams, etc. have all been reported by residents of the prison. The prison was designated a National Historic Landmark in 1965 but closed in 1971. While it was closed, it fell into disrepair, being taken over by Mother Nature and vandals. The city of Philadelphia purchased the prison with plans to tear it down and put some kind of new development up. But in 1988, the Eastern State Penitentiary Task Force was able to stop plans for the building and instead have it open to the public in 1994 for historic tours. Wow.
0: So they decided not to keep it as a prison. They
1: stopped the teardown that they were planning to do mm-hmm. to rebuild something else. And they wanted to keep the prison as it was a historic landmark and open it for tours. And that's what they've been doing since yeah. 1994. So are, do they call it ghost tours? Then? They have a whole Halloween event oh. that they raise money. And I think they mm-hmm. give it to like a social justice cause or something to help better prisons or something. Yeah, But yeah, they have a whole thing. You know, historical tours. Yeah, they make some money off of it.
0: Wow, that is. Yeah. It's a crazy story to see inside would be amazing yeah if you're ever in
1: philadelphia it's like right in the middle of the city yeah i
0: wonder if they just like leave the blood stains on the walls they might for the effect Yeah. yeah
1: so many ghost hunters and paranormal shows have visited the eastern state penitentiary for obvious reasons yeah they have captured the sounds in cell block 12 of something heavy dragging along the ground which they attribute to a prisoner digging in his feet as he is being dragged away they have captured disembodied voices in pain People have been touched on tours throughout the building. Tour guides have seen individuals join their tour groups out of the corner of their eye. And when they turn to address their new guests, there's no one there. <laughs> oh, gosh. That would be terrifying. Uh, they have heard disembodied voices and have caught many EVPs in the various cell blocks.
0: I wonder if Jimmy's still there.
1: Maybe. All of the cell blocks in the prison seem to have some kind of haunting down its corridors. Cell Block 12 is considered to be a hotbed of activity where full-body apparitions can be seen of deceased prisoners. Cell Block 6 features shadow figures and whispers, screams, and laughing. Cell Block 4 is haunted by creepy faces in the walls. Old cell doors can be heard slamming shut. EVPs seem to be easily captured at this location, with a few of the paranormal shows getting quite a few eerie recordings. Many people have felt overwhelmed emotionally and have broken down crying. Some people have been touched and others have just had the overwhelming sense of being filled with dread. On an episode of The Unexplained Zone, the show's resident psychic said there were many souls at the prison. They didn't have an independent energy source. They just fed off of each other's anger, becoming their own energy source. She said the spirits were quite literally bouncing off of each other.
0: I believe that. Have you ever been at like a music concert? Yes. And when everybody's in sync emotionally, the energy is just, it's in the air. You can feel it. You're
1: part of that wave. So what is the best course of action for this prison, Carol? Is it a good idea to have people taking tours through there or letting ghost hunters inside to, you know, poke at the ghosts? Or does that just make things worse for the souls trapped inside? I...
0: I can't. I like my imagination to come up with that kind of torture. Some of those things they invented. Yeah, that that's got to be worse than hell. I don't
1: know. I don't know. If the plastic surgery thing to me is almost like a torture because if you don't want your face changed, you don't have a choice, and you don't even know who you are at that <laughs> yeah. point. You're like, well, I guess I'm not me. I'll just swipe your identity. I mean, that's crazy, right? Right. And the intention was to get these people to repent and to get God's forgiveness. But really, all they did was make them go more and more insane. People think they have the right intentions and they do the worst stuff. I have
0: the story called The Fire Witch of South Larrabee Street. And I changed the title. At first, it was called The Tallman. Uh, home haunting (laughs) and i was like no we've got we've got (laughs) to have a better title than that and this haunting grabbed my attention because it is a paranormal case in which an entire family abandons their home fleeing in terror in the Mm. middle of winter at night just nine months after buying the home so the names of the children have been changed at request of the family to protect their identities okay Uh, but the home was located in the small town of horicon wisconsin and Horicon is just a f- small farming town it under 4,000 like people.
1: Hor- huh? It sounds like HorrorCon. Like, I know. I'm
0: going to a I con know. for
1: horror. That's another reason why I love this story. <laughs> great. It's HorrorCon. <laughs> yeah. What a great
0: name for a haunting of a town. It's <laughs> great. Oh, I know. I didn't make that up. Horicon is a farming town just under 4,000 people. There's a lot of whoring going on. No, <laughs> kidding. The house itself had no previous history of being haunted supposedly the biggest event of the year there is a waterfowl migration of thousands of birds. So really, literally nothing happens in this town. Boring. Yes. But the Tolman family, you know, they were going to put this small town on the map as they would bring worldwide attention because of their paranormal ordeal. So now that I've built up this story, we'll get right to it. I've never heard of this one. I know. Great. (sighs) debbie and alan tallman moved into their ranch home in april of 1986 the house was in a new residential development which comprised about 10 new homes on south Larrabee street it was a three-bedroom ranch home perfect for their growing family and had a basement which could easily be converted into a couple more bedrooms at the time deborah was pregnant with their third child Their seven-year-old boy, Kenny, was from a previous marriage, and Alan and Debbie had a two-year-old daughter together named Mary Ann. Soon after the family settled into their new home, Deborah began to feel unwell. Her doctors all attributed her illness to being pregnant and advised bed rest. The kids also seemed to be constantly sick. It wasn't just colds. It was chicken pox, ear infections, flu. It seemed every week she was taking one child to the doctor's. Deborah's mother and sister would take turns helping out around the house. They had several relatives living in the area and were very grateful for all the help and was looking forward to hosting many of them for visits in their new home. During the time leading up to the birth, both Deborah's mother and sister complained about not liking their house, even though they thought it was visually pleasing, well-made, and decorated nicely. They later confessed that the house just had a strange vibe, and they also seemed to feel sick and anxious when visiting. Alan and Deborah found they were irritable with each other, having arguments over stupid things. Both agreed they needed a date night out and hired a 16-year-old babysitter who was familiar with the family and their children. Debbie and Alan did have a relaxing happy evening out eating at a favorite restaurant and returned home only to be greeted by a frantic babysitter who ran out of the house to meet them. She informed them that while she sat at the kitchen table playing a board game with Kenny, another chair at the table started rocking on its legs and then bounced around violently coming to an abrupt stop. Well, obviously, Holly, the ghost was playing the game and it was losing. <laughs> now, I get that way when I'm playing. Yeah. I get, man, I get angry. grumpy yeah. and angry. When I'm competitive. Losing. Yeah. yeah. Growing up, we actually, we had timeouts like where the family couldn't play games anymore because we fought so much. (laughs) They were like, that's it. No more games. We're putting all the games away. If you guys can't play without cheating. Except for the Ouija board, that one stayed out. Because we'd always, (laughs) we never had that. But we would always accuse each other of cheating on the games. We were like, you cheated. No, I didn't. Debra and Alan's baby girl, Sarah, was born in November of the following fall. Relatives who knew the family said that Alan was binge drinking. <laughs> Alan later claims the house was influencing his behavior.
1: Sure, Alan. Sure. <laughs> blame uh, it on the house. Oh, that haunted house of mine makes me drink. See, that's you
0: could you could do that. You could get could a haunted you? house and just blame everything <laughs> on the haunted house.
1: Maybe Alan's just a raging alcoholic.
0: Oh, maybe. Poor Alan. At one point after the birth of their new baby, Alan threatened to leave Deborah. May Maybe Deborah's is the, f- the problem here, not the haunted She's house. She's the uh,
1: common denominator. Have person. you noticed
0: how many haunted stories have Deborah in them? There are a lot of Debra's associated they are. with haunted. I've been noticing that and they Weird. all have balls. They all are like not scared. Oh, good for you, Debra's. Debra's like should be ghost hunters because they're not scared. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, but Alan threatened to leave Deborah. The children were really fussy and never slept through the night, always needing something and crying if ever left alone. Well, they needed their dad. Where was he? <laughs> Where were you, Alan? You were out drinking. Drinking, drinking okay. right, Alan? Sorry, that was. Yeah. I need to get back to the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the baby turned seven months old, Debra and Alan decided to have the younger sister, Sarah, share the larger bedroom with her older sister and move Kenny into the smaller room. Uh, Kenny. Kenny, that sucks. Having a new <laughs> baby,
1: man, and gotta then you get
0: your big room taken away. Gotta live
1: in the closet now, Kenny. Uh,
0: Alan, who seemed to have his own health problems, first his back, then came down with an awful flu. His shortness of breath was so serious, Deborah called an ambulance to have him checked out. Alan did, though, slowly recover with medication. They brought in building inspectors, suspicious that building materials were treated with a chemical, perhaps, that they were getting sick from. Maybe asbestos was in the house or mold was in the home. But after a thorough check, they were told the house didn't have any toxic indications that they found. Just demons. Just demons. The Tallmans had also purchased a six-month kitten. <gasps> I know. What? Yes. Does anything bad happen to the kitten? No, they purchased a six... Stop. <laughs> i just joking. I know. I know. I hate it when there's animals involved. <laughs> the Tallmans had purchased a six-month kitten who seemed okay at first, but then would act up just as soon as the sun set. Deborah claimed that the kitten would climb up walls and come flying through the air, smashing into walls. <laughs> now you
1: have kittens. I you just sure, got that's normal. Are they six months? That's normal behavior. So um, they
0: climb up your
1: walls? They will climb up anything they can get their tiny little claws into. Yes. Okay.
0: Do they fly through the air and smash themselves into walls? Sometimes they do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they will come down. Dear I, Lord. I swear these kittens are going to kill me because when I go down the stairs, They also come down the stairs and they intertwine around my feet and then I almost fall. So I have to hold on to the banister and very slowly and carefully go down the stairs to make sure I don't step on them or they don't trip me. Sometimes they fly past me so fast (laughs) they will go halfway down the stairs and then they shoot off of that midway of the staircase onto the dining room table and across so fast I don't even know what it was. I mean, they are yeah. so fast.
0: I mean, I was thinking about that because I was like, maybe that is normal kitten behavior. Yeah, that, and that they just don't normal. realize it. I yeah. mean, the first time I met your kittens, they're adorable. Yeah, they're cute. But um, one of them drew blood yeah. off oh, me. Oh, he did. Yeah. Sorry about that. I don't know if it was fig or ash. Yeah. Probably ash. Maybe.
1: Did was Where was the an incident occur on your body? Was it on your hand or...
0: Yes, it it made the stigmata.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be ash then. So so they are probably demon possessed as well. They most
0: likely. Yeah. So back to the story. Okay. Um, Alan hoped to confine the kitten at night to the bathroom, so it would not have free reign of the home, but it would just howl all night long. Poor kitty. I know. One night he forgot to get the kitten and put it away because it had fallen asleep on the couch. Aww. But later it must have woken up because they both were startled from their bed. <laughs> I'm sorry, to laugh. <laughs> But later, it must have woken up because they both were startled from their bed when the cat flew across their bed and up the chest of drawers, hanging with its claws, dug into the plaster wall up towards the ceiling. That's about right. It was like, <laughs> yeah, he said it looked like an owl. Oh, Uh, needless to say, the cat was given away to a new home. They just weren't cat lovers. I guess not. Hoping to get Kenny to relax and fall asleep in his new bedroom, they placed a clock radio that would shut off after about 30 to 45 minutes of music. Kenny got up and claimed the radio station was changed to a different channel. Hmm. Thinking the signal was just picking up another station... Debra just disregarded the incident. Oh, Debra, it's just, you know, picking up another signal. sounds like you, Debra. Yes, Debra. Anyway, she tucked him back to bed and put the radio on the correct station and left his room. But Kenny got back up again and said, no, the radio station changed channels again. This time he was watching the knob turn on its own. So the radio clock was just taken away because Deborah didn't know what else to do.
1: You do not get to have this radio clock if you're going to keep complaining about the music changes. That's right. This was
0: a privilege, and
1: now you don't get it. You don't get your big room.
0: Now you don't get the radio (laughs) clock.
1: Do you? Kenny's life really
0: sucks right now. A new
1: Deborah, or do you think this is the same Deborah and all these other stories that we've told? Over the years, the same person. She it just sounds like the same person. In a paranormal situation. Yeah. I think it's the same person. I know. It's just, it's crazy. She's like, son of a bitch, again, I'm starting no. a whole new family and it's happening again. Or this maybe, or maybe everybody
0: for identity protection just likes the name Deborah. <laughs> maybe. And so they just choose it. She theorized he was just wanting to get attention because of the new baby. And he would never sleep through the night, always saying that he could hear noises like pipes banging and it was coming from the basement. But Deborah knew it was just their bedroom set banging against the wall, but Uh she couldn't tell him that.
1: Working on baby number four.
0: Working on baby number four. I don't know. But anyway, one night after his usual temper tantrum about having to go to bed, he'd finally given up out of exhaustion and they turned off his bedroom light. Alan and Deborah were only able to relax for a short while in the living room when Kenny runs out to them saying a suitcase stored under his bed moved across the floor and then scooted back again under the bed. Cool. When the incident kept happening, it was removed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they said, you know what? I'm you don't sorry. get the suitcase under so... your bed
0: either. Kenny. I'm like cracking up. You guessed what Deborah did. <laughs> what did she do, Holly? Taking that damn suitcase too. She did. She removed it from the room Good and stored Deborah and stored the suitcase in the same closet as the clock radio. Don't put
1: up with Kenny's bullshit. This is yeah. ridiculous. And
0: that's actually really smart because Kenny was really planning on running away, I think.
1: <laughs> Probably should. His mom sounds like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, we're gonna get sued from poor Deborah and, and Alan. <sighs> Deborah said all three children never gave them a moment's peace at night. Mary Ann, the older daughter, was heard talking to someone in the middle of the night and laughing. Alan thought she probably was just having tea with an imaginary friend or perhaps playing with her doll or teddy bear. But the innocent playing soon turned to a very eerie talk of whispers. They could hear her saying, shh, shh, as if she wanted someone to be very quiet or go away. Sometimes she would appear in their bedroom talking about hearing noises and asking them if they heard it. Don't you hear the voices, she would ask urgently. It was as if the kids were all being visited independently because they were never all awake at the same time. Alan would try to lay on the floor of the girls' bedroom until they were asleep and then go lay down on the floor of Kinney's room until he fell asleep. It seemed that was the only way they would calm down. At one point, Alan also started to hear the banging noises from below the carpeted floor. He also heard scratching noises like mice or rats crawling around, but after checking, they never found any evidence of pests. Deborah never heard voices herself but said she would hear the garage door open and close on its own. They had stored meat in a freezer. So um, And they had kept that in the garage, so she was just worried someone was trying to break in and steal it. Take her meat? Mm -hmm. Take her meat. (laughs) (laughs) There never was anyone present when she checked, and nothing seemed out of place. Deborah also started to have terrible nightmares of scenarios where Alan and all her kids would be dying. In the fall of 1987, Alan attempted to paint the walls in the basement and was called upstairs by Deborah for help in putting a child to sleep. He remembers that he laid his paintbrush across the top of the paint tray. When he returned about 45 minutes later, the paintbrush had been jammed upside down into the open paint can. Trying to remain calm, he wiped off the paint on the handle and resumed painting. Alan remembers seeing a glimpse of a dark shadow out of the corner of his eye cross the basement. It unsettled him so much, he said, nope, and quickly sealed everything back up and went upstairs. Nopey, nopey, nope. No, Nope. There seemed to be a prankster because on another occasion, a basement window was found to have been removed and set on the ground propped up against the wall. Nothing was taken, though even Alan's expensive gun collection was there and power tools remained untouched. So what they couldn't figure out was, how did a person break in through the window um it's up so high from the floor that mm. in order to get out they would have had to have a chair to climb up on mm-hmm. after that they decided to get a guard dog alan had gotten promoted as a foreman and had to work the night shift and debbie who had to manage the children all on her own now was all on her own at night mm-hmm. he wanted her though and the kids to feel safe so he purchased the dog As if a
1: dog could replace a man. That's right. He's just thinking, you know what? This dog will do the job I'm supposed to be doing.
0: The dog, though, went nuts, barking incessantly at night, pacing back and forth. It didn't matter if the dog was in the yard or in the home. It acted crazy, scratching at the doors to be let in or out. And it wasn't satisfied with either option. Unlike the cat, though, they kept the dog. And just put up with the barking. Whatever. Yeah, they were dog people. Well, but well. the neighbors also commented that their dogs would bark at the house aggressively whenever they attempted to walk their dogs by the home. Hmm. So it wasn't just their dog. It was other people's dogs, too.
1: Okay.
0: One night, Ann, the older sister, woke her mother up saying there was a fire in her room and someone was watching her. When her mother checked the room, there was nothing to be seen. Well, of course not,
1: Deborah. You're Debra. You, you don't <laughs> see things. Debra, you don't buy into any of this bullshit. I know. No.
0: Marianne kept saying, though, to her mom, night after night, that there were fires on her door and in the windows, and someone or something was hiding behind her door ready to get her when the lights were out. Well, that's scary. It's very scary. In researching this story, it seems several sources claim a used bunk bed could have been the element that triggered the hauntings. Well, that's weird. Shortly after their baby was born, the couple purchased the bunk bed for the girls to have and assembled it once they moved them into the larger room. But nobody could find any history regarding the former owners of the bed, and it seemed in good condition, like the house. It also didn't make sense why the paranormal activity would be in other rooms of the house, far away from the bunk bed, like in the basement or in Kenny's room. Kenny, who had just turned eight, was upset one night after saying he saw an ugly, old, and wrinkly three-foot-tall woman. He described her as looking like a witch. He said she would stand by his door, and a red glow-like fire would surround her long black hair. Cool. Yeah, Deborah tried to convince Kenny that it was his guardian angel at his
1: bedroom (laughs) door. Deborah.
0: Visiting and protecting
1: him. There you go again, Deborah. Nice. It's not a witch.
0: It's an angel. It's a beautiful angel protecting you. But Kenny insisted she was too ugly to be an angel. (laughs) Good job, Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. Deborah and Alan finally started to compare all the incidents they were hearing about from their kids and experiencing themselves around the home. It was the first time they considered moving. But once they tried calculating all the costs and estimated they would lose around $3,000, Debra convinced them to just call their local pastor. That's right, Debra. That's right. Reverend Dobratz encouraged them to start attending church. And when he could find time, he would pay them a visit. Meanwhile, Alan was certain that something was in the garage watching and waiting for him. See, Alan was paranoid. He really knew something was going on. Every time he pulled down the garage door, he said it was like shutting himself in a tomb. When the pastor interviewed them both, his conclusion was that they were dealing with an agent of the devil. He thought maybe they had enemies, maybe somebody put a curse on them or a spell on the home. Reverend Dobrat suggested they play cassette tapes of religious music at night in the children's rooms and say prayers and Bible verses out loud to rid the house of any evil. So, they were shocked to think anything they had done would attract evil into their home. But they did allow the pastor to bless the home regardless and tried to go to church. One evening around Christmas, Kenny said the witch lady was standing by their Christmas tree glaring at him. Ooh. Deborah heard him yelling at her to go away and leave them
1: alone. Would you yell at it? Like if you were sitting there, and you look over, and there's this three foot, ugly, fiery witch standing next to your Christmas tree would you say, hey, leave us alone?
0: I would if she was someone I've seen over and over again in my room, and I'm worried that she's going to steal my presence. Mm. The kids at that point would not even allow Deborah or themselves to go anywhere alone. They were terrified. Mm-hmm. Alan, coming home and hearing what happened, also yelled out loud for whatever it was to leave his children alone. And if it wanted a fight, to fight him instead. Yeah, yeah way to go, Alan. Tough guy. To take a shot of whiskey after he's in. Yeah. <laughs> leave my leave my kids alone. Come after me. That of course was the wrong approach, Alan. A she, fight was indeed coming. She
1: did pick on him then.
0: She did. Ken started to have horrific nightmares. One nightmare was of a tornado chasing him, and when he came home from work the following day. A faint wind was heard coming from the garage, growing stronger and louder. He immediately remembered his nightmare and stood frozen in fear. A voice called out to him, saying, Come here. Alan ran off the porch and to the side of the garage, thinking someone was hiding there. The street was empty. There was nothing human around. No feet running, no shadows. So he turned back to the porch and tried to unlock his front door again, when the howling wind started up again, and he heard the voice call out once more, come here. Alan said, quote, I saw this glowing coming from the garage, and it got brighter and brighter. I backed off from the porch, but it seemed to be drawing me nearer to it. Flames were coming out of my garage, and then the eyes appeared in the overhead door, end quote.
1: Yeah.
0: Alan said the eyes were shimmering green with red glowing pupils. They just seemed to float about the wide garage door. That's creepy. Yes. He quickly got himself inside his house and then realized the glowing eyes might mean his garage was actually on fire. And he needed to double check. He ran, you think, Alan? He ran back outside and the garage was in darkness. Nothing was off. There was no wind, no eyeballs floating. So he calmly walked back to the house, dumped his alcohol bottles in the trash, picked up his lunch pail from work, and went into the kitchen. I added that part about dumping the alcohol <laughs> in the trash. But that was another typical day. But that would make you want to stop right there, seeing yeah. all that. Something forced its weight onto his back and sent the lunchbox flying across the room. Really? Alan tried to sleep, but he knew the presence was in their bedroom, so he couldn't see anything but he could still hear the wind sound like a tornado howling and it would vacillate between high and low frequencies with the lower frequencies sounding like growls. Well, that just sounds like you're gargling mouthwash. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, Carol, it oh. sounds like
0: a scary witch. The weekend of January 8th, Alan's teenage nephew Jonathan was spending the night at their home in order to go ice fishing with Alan in the morning. Oh, sounds like fun. As teenagers do, he got up in the middle of the night for a snack and found the refrigerator door standing wide open. Well, this freaked out Deborah a bit just because the refrigerator naturally tilted back due to the back two floor levelers being broken off. It would be impossible for the door to stay open without someone physically holding it. Jonathan also claimed he thought a light was on in the garage because he saw something red glowing through the window.
1: Hmm.
0: Nope, nope, nope. I would not be checking that out. Mm -mm. Well, Holly, this would be the night Alan would get to see the fire witch on Larrabee Street. Yay. He would assume his usual position lying on the floor of his girl's bedroom when he saw a fog rising up from the carpet, growing in height as it reached the ceiling. The vapor became a human form which wavered like a hologram in the center of the bedroom. It does sound like a movie. It does. An outline of a body was visible with glowing red eyes and an arm stretched out pointing to Alan. It only said two words, you're dead Ooh. and vanished in a puff of flame. Poof.
1: Wow. I mean,
0: I can see this as a movie, can't you?
1: I'll get you my pretty you, and your, you little, little
0: guard dog, dog and your guard dog too. <laughs> the next day would be the Talmans last day in the home. Jonathan had offered to help Deborah while Alan went to work. Deborah played the religious music and it seemed too good to be true. All was calm, and the kids seemed to be cooperating with bedtime, as Jonathan said he would read them stories until they fell asleep. But all hell broke loose when after a while, Deborah heard Jonathan screaming for Deborah to come and help him. Mm-mm. Oh, God, Deborah thought. Not another man <laughs> screaming and crying.
1: There I go again.
0: Jonathan said he saw the fire witch or something in the room. It told Jonathan that he was now involved. In terror, they all grabbed their coats and drove straight to Alan's work. As they drove away, Kinney said, quote, Mom! Mom, it's looking at us out of the window. Oh, boy. Oh, scary. So scary. So creepy. The Tallmans never spent another night at their home. They received help with the move from local church members who came to pack up their belongings, and the family stayed with relatives until they could buy another home in a city just a few miles away. They didn't care that they l- would lose $3,000. Yeah, three K is not that big didn't, a deal. It didn't matter at that point. Yeah, Alan was able to keep his job as he was well-liked at his work, and his fellow employees all supported him, saying he could never make up something so crazy. Hmm. The police even tried to help the family by trying to keep their privacy from being invaded and their house protected. One of the neighbors later commented on a blog that it was kind of creepy at the time. It was really weird to see a police officer patrolling the street, and their license plate number showed 666 on the back. <laughs> That's weird. In light of the situation, though, the license plate was quickly changed out for a different one after people started commenting on it. Mm. Despite trying to keep everything hush-hush, word did get out about the haunting, and the news media swarmed the community with reporters and tourists cruising the street trying to get a peek of the house. The Tallmans, though, were not willing to be interviewed, so rumors began to spread like wildfire, or shall we say witch fire? <laughs> Do your cackle. There were people who said blood was oozing from the walls, Mm, and that that. yeah, and that they had seen a snowblower operating all on its own. Cool. That's that's a great (laughs) lie. The house was eventually resold, and there never was again a mention of anything going on with paranormal activity. Hmm. The Tallmans, who did admit the trauma lasted for many years, also reported no further hauntings, though, occurred in their new home. That's good. Alan was a straight up family man. His personality changed. He and Deborah got along just swimmingly. Nobody could ever pinpoint what triggered the haunting to occur. The bunk beds were said to be destroyed just as a precaution, but others think the land itself might have provided more clues. But the local historical society said there was never anything strange dug up or discovered in the Larrabee neighborhood. There was a cemetery only two blocks away but one would think the whole street would have been affected, not just the Tallman family. The area was close to a marsh, and previous to the housing development, teenagers would use the vacant land as a lover's lane or hangout place. Mm. The police chief was sympathetic to the Tallman's ordeal, and brought in a team of psychic investigators to examine the house after they left town. His investigation could not find any physical causes for what happened in the home. Parapsychologist Carl Schultz and Don Mueller also could not find any evidence of a hoax. The pastor of the church was convinced, though, that they had a curse placed on them or attached to an object in their home, Hmm. which is why the fire witch entity was tormenting them. My thoughts were... Maybe she really wanted to scare them into leaving the house because it was a fire hazard.
1: Yeah, well, that's maybe. One to look at it. I
0: mean, maybe she really wanted them to leave because. But she if it knew- was a
1: fire hazard, wouldn't the house have burned down?
0: Yeah, maybe she got her timing off. You know, that's easy to do. It's <laughs> funny. Sometimes, you know, time doesn't work the way you think it no, is. Apparently not. But I was thinking about that. What if she, generali- you know, genuinely was just trying to get them out of the house to save their life? Maybe it, maybe there was something wrong in the garage or something.
1: I don't know. She was an ugly witch. Therefore, I think everything she was doing was bad. You know what she needed, Holly? was just
0: some cosmetic surgery.
1: She sure did. That if they just gave her a pretty everything. face... She would have been the good witch. She would have been a good person on the inside. And she she would have have been ugly. She would have been
0: Kenny's guardian angel, like Deborah said. Anyway, that's the end of the sexy witch. I mean, fire witch of South Laredo. That was great.
1: That's a good story.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason why most people haven't heard of it is Hmm. because... There weren't a lot of interviews done. The Mm -hmm. family really just wanted to go away, move on. Yep, really wanted to go move on, and they did. They started started a new life. They changed their names, Mm
1: -hmm. um, except Deborah. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) She wasn't scared. Deborah just
1: moved on to the next haunted house and did it all over again.
0: (laughs) No, they didn't have any other future hauntings. So that's also interesting. Interesting
1: that they didn't, because um, usually if a house is genuinely haunted, then you'll have lots of people, the house will turn over our hands many, many times. Yeah. So the fact that they sold it and it never happened again, is kind of weird.
0: Yeah. It might've been attached to an object in the home, like the bunk beds. So
1: yeah, the bunk beds, did those get moved to the new house? No. Remember, um,
0: I said that they, um, they destroyed them. Oh, they
1: destroyed them. So maybe it was the bunk beds
0: yeah So just as a precaution. I mean, they didn't know for sure. Yeah. Because
1: I mean, really the
0: fire witch was seen everywhere. Yeah. And especially yeah. in the garage. Yeah. So who knows? Huh. But really a crazy story.
1: That is a crazy story. That's good. That's great. Thank you, Carol. That's You're awesome. Welcome. Yeah, that's good. And Deborah, rock on. Rock on, Deborah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> good night. evening. It, it is hot in the city tonight. Tonight. Each cell had its own exercise yard secured with blah blah blah. blah.
0: Or something in the air because it's affecting me as well. Love
1: is in the air. Okay. Something.
0: <laughs> Something's been in Holly's throat. Something's been in my throat. Something's and been irritating mm-hmm. her. <laughs> we're not going to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. No, we we're trying to clean up this act. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing a very good job of it. That would then be attached to the prisoner's wrists that were there. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were trying to wave me down. I'm no. Like, stop. No, I don't want
0: to know anymore. Aren't you glad this isn't live? That we
1: can just like screw up. I love it. On an episode of the Unexplained Zone, the show's resident psychic said that they there were no, 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 no. The psychic, no, no. <laughs>
0: At one... Because they never see you, Alan. You're never around during the day. You're always missing. You're at work. You're somewhere. You're just never
1: there. (laughs) It's going to be okay, Carol. Okay.
0: (laughs) At one point, Alan also started to hear the banging noises from below the car. then he's like wait a minute wait, who is deborah with right now
1: what is that coming from my bedroom <laughs> what the hell god dang it i knew i shouldn't have gone out tonight i gotta just go get another drink because deborah's got to finish whatever she's doing and that was a oh, great no, story I'm girl thank you <laughs> i'm not even getting to it Shit! i'm sorry i didn't i
0: i should have read this before i wrote it i
1: mean before i <laughs> before wrote <you> it. <laughs> <laughs> No more. Was that you? Did you just fart? Do I need to open a window?
0: I'm sorry, it's the fire witch. <laughs> it's the farter witch. It's the fire witch. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted.
1: Hey guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to fireside at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode